Every single Charlie's Theron movie, wow, TV show, Commercial. SNL clip we could find, and Diorettes. <laughs> and this week we are ending our journey with the 2001 tearjerker, yeah, rom com, rom sob. I think it's a rom sob. <laughs> Sweet November. And with me, as always, is Robin Elaine Hitchcock. Hello, Bob Shields. Hello, and me, Regina Connolly. And for the last time. Can oh. we summarize a movie with one noise out of our body? A one sound review. Aww. Uh. Mm. Mm. Bob Shields, I cannot believe you liked this movie. <laughs> I didn't just like this movie, I really liked this oh movie. Oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. Like, I just very haphazardly was like, well, blah, 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 we know it's low in the rankings. And Bob's like, no. I feel like I've stepped to the Twilight Zone. Okay, so I'm glad you liked it. And also, I hope that you never make fun of me again for liking Head of the Clouds. <laughs> <laughs> so here's why I like this movie. I Firstly, I found it genuinely very effectively emotive. Okay. I was very much swept up in everything about it. I thought uh, Keanu played sarcastic very well. I agree with that. I thought that Charlize was a very convincing Manic Pixie Dream Girl and very compelling, very charming. And also the whole element to it where he is like slowly worn down and eventually, uh, you know, turns his life around. While cheesy and obvious, the movie earned it for me. And I, I think the reason it earned it, and I can understand why you think you're in a Twilight Zone though, because this plays directly contrary to my usual way of judging movies. Uh, because Alex Reed, the creator of our theme tune, he asked me this morning, like, so what makes a good movie to you? Like, yeah. how do you judge a good movie? And I said, well, you know, it has to have sound internal logic, it has to have compelling decisions made by the characters. And that's pretty much it. There are characters who are unlikable that I enjoy uh, because the decisions they make make sense within the context of the movie etc. This movie uh, I found it so compelling it made me want to change my barometer because there's no sound internal logic exactly yeah but the movie has this kind of level of movie making sheen and artifice to it that it earns the unrealistic decisions by being the right level of unrealistic the whole way through. Like it's magical realism? Exactly. You are describing exactly how I feel about the movie The Lake House, okay. which I genuinely love. Right. That is extremely far from how I feel about the movie <laughs> Sweet November. So like there are scenes in this movie that make no sense like characters do things that make absolutely no sense the ebbing of uh, Keanu's reluctance in the context of his character makes no sense but in the context of the movie it has to happen and the movie earns it with a kind of level of fakeness that is consistent throughout so like Keanu has like a sidekick character who's just a relentless smarmy asshole yeah the dude from Ally McBeal the poor man Stephen Weber and he is obviously a reprehensible character and he is treated as such by the surrounding characters in the scene yeah but his, and his character is so reprehensible that it's 
artificial. Like, it seems right. unreal. Let's do a plot summary. Let's mm-hmm. create the weeds before we get too far into them. Okay. So, essentially, this is a movie about boilerplate Manic Pixie Dream Girl situation yep. where Keanu Reeves is a sad, mean ad executive and Charlize Theron is a free spirit dog walker slash former pet entrepreneur. Yeah. They explain her unexplained wealth, which I enjoyed. She has a habit of adopting men for one month. She has them live in her house and she devotes herself completely to them to fix their lives and then kicks them to the curb because she doesn't want to have an attachment or anything like that. Yep. So that's her passion project in life. So that is really taking the idea of a Manic Pixie Dream Girl and like transactionalizing it in Mm -hmm. a way. Now this is based on an old movie from the 60s about which I know a nothing. I didn't I don't, know that. I know that Sandy Dennis is in it. That's what I got. <laughs> and all I know about Sandy Dennis is that she won an Oscar and then I constantly confuse her with Sandy Duncan. Anyway, I don't know if this is a faithful adaptation or not. Manic Pixie Dream Girl was coined in 2007. Obviously, the trope has been around forever. Yeah. But this movie really impressively simplifies it yes. to its elemental structure. Right. It also does, I would argue, give her a reason for doing it, which most movies do not. Not just that she, like wants to help them. But spoiler alert, she is dying of lymphoma. The argument in the movie from her and her friends is that she sets up these rules and she's doing these things for these people because it gives her an illusion of control when she feels like her illness has stripped her from control. And so it's like she's able to contribute and live the life that she wants, but if she does it within these strictures, then she doesn't have to contemplate the void or her uh, impending death. Right. And honestly, that was something that I was not expecting the movie to treat so seriously. Mm -hmm. So this movie, I thought I I had seen it. I had not. I 100% was thinking about Autumn in New York starring Winona Ryder and Richard <laughs> Gere, which came out like five months before this. They were sort of the yeah. deep impact and Armageddon of Manic Pixie Dream Girl cancer movies. And in that movie, she's like, hello, hi, I have cancer. Let's fall in love. <laughs> she's Tignotaro. Pretty much, exactly. So I, I can't actually, I'm not 100% sure she has cancer. She's dying. I think it's a heart condition. So this one doesn't have that. But then when it do- is revealed, it is treated like very seriously. And I think that they do a reasonably okay job of selling it. But I'm still like, fundamentally, what this is about is that these women are dying to get out of the way. It To me, this movie yeah. is about Keanu Reeves. Yes. And she is a device, and her death is only meaningful in so far as it makes him sad. Right. I can see that. I don't... Uh- 100% agree because I do think they take the time to talk about that the, that she's setting up her life in a way that so that she can like come to terms with what's happening to her and that she has control and agency and that ultimately uh, the movie doesn't allow Keanu to have what he wants. It, it ends with like her decision is the decision the way in which the movie goes. I think it was important that the movie sort of include the she's dying and independently wealthy because I feel like that's the only possible justification for being a manic pixie dream girl in terms of like, <laughs> I run on the beach and I'm happy and it's like well you don't have to worry about your insurance that's paying for all your medicine right and also like you are able to constantly think time is limited so I'm gonna go do fun things and not worry about the, the mundanity of life because your life is short and the way it is difficult to hold that in your mind all the time so I sort of like I feel like it justified that and made it more sort of about why she is the way she is and not just about Keanu um, and how he is changing. And I also think, like, for example, he buys her a dishwasher that he carries in a bag. How does he carry that dishwasher over his shoulder? So <laughs> dishwashers that size could be tiny. Like, in Japan, they're, like, or uh, countertop dishwashers that are right. relatively small. But the thing is, is, I was like, 
I felt like I was glad that they included that because I, I was like, see, if they had lived together for more than three weeks, they'd fucking fight about the dishes yeah. not getting done. <laughs> I mean, getting someone a dishwasher is one of the most romantic things you can possibly do. So I really did genuinely appreciate that. But the logic break of he brings in a bag of presents over his shoulder, like literally like Santa, he's wearing a Santa hat. And then one of them is a dishwasher. Yeah. I was already so done with this movie at that point. I was there for that. The thing that I was like, come on, guys. That perfume bottle is absurd. It's a clown perfume bottle. Right. And also, did he make it? I want more information about these 12 days of Christmas. I also thought that that perfume, when he's like, oh, it's going to be a scent. I was like, is this about the time that he smelled like dog pee? Did he just get a giant spritzer of dog pee? No. No, he does qualify that it's the scent that a woman leaves on you or something. But I was like, dude... That would take 10 lifetimes yeah. to go through that perfume bottle. I feel like that's just rubbing it in that she doesn't have much time left. Oh, rude. But accurate. <laughs> we should go back to the plot summary. Okay, so I feel like maybe I shouldn't be summarizing it. it because I'll, I'll it. be like, this is, this part's dumb and this part's also dumb. <laughs> well, so you're, right, you're, you're not wrong. <laughs> okay. But I'm okay with it. Yeah. So the movie uh, begins, we realize that Keanu Reeves is a dick because he is boning Lorelai Gilmore and is rude to her. And, and immediately starts saying weird things about dogs. Wait, and I was hugely relieved that it wasn't just his version of a pep talk. <laughs> My favorite part of the opening, and there were many, is he's like boning Lorelai Gilmore. And then his alarm goes off and he's like, I'm done. And gets out of bed when the buzzer goes, which I think is funny. And then he checks his morning faxes. <laughs> <laughs> he has a home fax machine because it's 2001 and then he turns on a wall of giant old computer monitors and i mean they're actually tvs but they're really absurdly... like he's at best buy where like every other one yeah. is showing the same channel yeah <laughs> it's very goofy and he's walking around being like dogs diggity dog dog barks bark dogs a big dog <laughs> I mean, we're going to save talking about Keanu in this movie for the Keanu review, but I have a lot of notes about his uh, talking to himself. Because this movie, unfortunately, gave him a lot of opportunities to have to explain what he's about to do in a mirror or just out loud for no reason. A lot of that. So he's like, I'm leaving. I'm an ad executive. And then he (laughs) goes to work and everyone's like, you're the best. And a hot secretary's like, you won an award. He's like, I don't care. Get me to the ads. I want to do some ads. I'm going to pause for one second because I also enjoyed this movie, but one of the biggest reality breaks for me that I find very difficult to accept, we're led to believe that San Francisco is a hotbed of hotshot executives in the advertising world. I actually had a moment of, is there something I don't know about San Francisco? They wanted to set it there for bohemian reasons, but I was sort of like, yeah, it was Madison Avenue. If he was that good at advertising, he wouldn't be on the West Coast. Right. Because obviously it makes sense to have like somewhat local. Oh, yeah. Right. And I was like, is San Francisco where the West Coast elite go? Maybe. But But even then, if he's like, I've won 55 Cleos, he would be on Madison Avenue. He would be in New York. But also like, maybe that's part of the thing is that he thinks he's hot shit, but actually he's just an ad guy in San Francisco. Yes. Oh. Oh. Or maybe he wouldn't leave because his dead parents' house was there. I did high five myself when he was like my parents are dead <laughs> so he needs to go renew his license and for some what a great meet cute what a, for some great. inexplicable reason to renew your license you have to take a multiple choice test in san francisco and he leans over to ask Charlie's there and something about a rock fall because he's too dumb to know the answer and he's also too dumb to know that you can't ask 
for help on a test when the test proctor is standing there giving you the stink eye. Like, how did he think he was going to get away with that? Because he's a hotshot dude who can get whatever he wants. I mean, I guess he does get away with that. Exactly. So then Charlize Theron is the one who gets in trouble for talking. She gets kicked out. She also drops her groceries on him because you cannot be in a rom-com if you're not clumsy. Yeah, yeah. Girl is a klutz, but only then, I think. The only time she drops something again is when she's dying. Well, she was dying at that time as well. We just didn't know it. Well, right. Her main, uh, like, intro... Uh, cliche things are klutz and constantly eating. And always wearing the same weird scarf. Yes. She basically wears what she wears on Arrested Development. Also, I'll say, like, as someone who grew up in the 90s and was born in the 80s, like, those outfits, I'm sort of like, they were the things that I wanted to wear as a high school student, but failed to pull off because I am not a model dancer. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) She gets kicked out. She's not going to have her license for 30 days. So she sits on Keanu Reeves, a very dated Mercedes, and is like, hey, buddy, you're a dick. And he's like, get off my car. I'll pay for all your expenses for a month. Rah, rah, rah. And she's like, mm, that's my dog walking truck. And then we cut to her finding his apartment somehow. And she harasses him and tries to shame him into giving her a ride. So he gives her a ride and she breaks in and steals two puppies out of a school in the Oakland area. Right. She's just like, hey, uh, time for a little crime. <laughs> and then this is never addressed for the rest nope. of the film. I thought that he would be like, get away from me. And she would be like, well, if I do that, then I'm going to go have to tell the cops that you aided and abetted uh, burglary last night. So then basically he's like, all right, I've given you this ride. Like, we're even now. I know it's my fault that you don't have your license for a month and you can't do your job, but whatever, we're good. And she's like, well, why don't you come upstairs and have hot cocoa with me or else I'm going to keep coming to your house. Or else, right? And so then... (laughs) So he does go up, and then they talk, and she basically lays out, she's like, you could be my November, if you move in with me for a month, I'll fix how sad you are, you obviously hate your job, and and your girlfriend doesn't love you, and he's like, nah, that's crazy, I'm leaving. And then he gets fired, because, (laughs) oh my (laughs) lord, oh goodness me. So he's doing an ad pitch for Diggity Dogs. And it's basically the funniest thing I have seen in a long time. It's Keanu Reeves really going hard on, like, the sexualized hot dog ad. He says the word hot dog a lot. And when he's getting prepped for this hot dog ad, he's eating a hot dog like he has never seen one in his entire life. And he licks it and he goes, it's a hot, hot dog. I really thought he was going to practice blowing the hot dog. (laughs) So did I. (laughs) Well, he has one of the ad pictures is like a teen girl in a crop top basically blowing the hot dog. That's the one that like is the final straw, I think. And then the company's like, yeah, no, we're America's hot dog. This is cheap, tawdry bullshit. And Keanu Reeves like goes mad dog and goes nuts on him. And then really, it was one of those things where I assumed he was going to get fired for losing the the account. Mm -hmm. But it was one of those things where it was like, oh, no, he got fired for gross misconduct. For being yes. a lunatic. Right, because yeah. he loses it in the office. Right, and his boss is like, I thought this might happen, you have to take a vacation, short or long. And I actually like this, because it's Keanu. I loved that character, by the way. And yeah. too, here's the other thing, though. I kept looking up, and even though I knew it wasn't, thinking that it was Kevin McDonald from Kids in the Hall. Oh. <laughs> and so I want it to be Kevin McDonald from Kids in the Hall. Well, one of the things I liked about that scene is the idea of someone who thinks they're very powerful, that they assume they can do whatever, which is Keanu's character. Yeah. Of like, I'm the biggest name in town! And the guy's like, yeah, no, like, you are actually fired, like, get out of my and office. And also when he kind of, like, chest puffs. Yeah, and, and he's a smallish dude, yep. like Kevin McDonald from Kids in the Hall. That was probably my favorite scene in the movie. I really <laughs> liked that. And then he 
goes home and obviously his girlfriend has chosen that day to leave him. So he is forced to have the only option of going back to Charlize Theron and being like, wait, what did you say the other night about fixing me and living here for a month? He's like, all right, fine, like maybe. And then they start to bone. I actually like this This is this where scene. the movie lost me permanently. Really? Whoa. Yes. This scene, so like Charlie's explaining like what she's gonna do or whatever and then at some point, I forget some of the details, but basically like they start necking. Keanu keeps trying to like, you know, get to, to bone in and she's like, let's take it slow, let's take it slow because I'm about living in the moment. Let's take things slow. They like move to a couch and this is the part that I really liked about it. She's like, this is uncomfortable for me. She did a great job of making it look like yes. awkward sex. <laughs> yeah, she was kind of, you know, and it was sort of like, you know, people who just met but want a bone and then he gets really mad because she is telling him what to do in his mind and he like storms off and I thought that that was very believable and she comes out she's like what are you so mad about but then she apologizes and like that really tanked the movie for me like that was when I was like this movie is about Keanu and his fragile feelings and very skeptical of what she's doing to begin with but I'm like this is not gonna be subverting this this is gonna be diving right into it subverting what? Manic Pixie Dream Girlness I felt like her apologizing to him was realistic. Why? Because women who upset men often, even if they're in the right, will apologize oh. to make the situation Oh, better. no, 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 no. I completely agree with that. But if, if the point of her character is that she's this free-spirited person who's cracked it, like, it feels like they're presenting her as someone who's got it all figured out. And then part of what she's figured out is apologizing to a guy who's upset when you tell him to stop attacking you. You know what I mean? I, I don't mean think, attacking, I don't, like... I was gonna say, I don't think he was attacking. I think it was a like sexual he was, style. Sorry, I said that too harshly. She's like, I'm not comfortable with this sex. And he storms out angrily mm-hmm. and te- tells her the last thing I need is you telling me what to do in the sack. And she says, I'm sorry. And I just was like, I'm done. Like, I don't like this dynamic. To me, that was the moment when I was like, this is gonna be what I think it, the worst thing that it is. Which is? That she's not important and that his feelings are. Oh, like, I devote myself to you. Because she says that in the same thing. She's chasing him down the street being like, I'm giving you my everything, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that is fundamentally fucked up, Mm -hmm. right? And if the movie really cared about her and really explored, like, what about her dying young is, like, putting her in that pathology, Mm -hmm. maybe it would be an interesting movie. I think, unfortunately, it wouldn't be for me because I've seen so many like there's other things that deconstruct manic pixie dream girls that i still hate like ruby sparks for example was a movie that i'm like i see what you're trying to do i still hate watching this this makes me miserable so uh this movie made me miserable because it was like i hate this idea that this fantasy of a woman only exists to make this sad man feel better so i totally understand what you're saying and i don't disagree with you but what i was saying before but that it's it has a maintains a level of fakeness. Right. So that excuses any plot contrivance or problematic element to it because I'm just like, yeah, but it's fake. Well, because his his character is also an exaggerated huge, absolutely. like just so yeah. phony. Yeah, yes. I would say he's almost as cartoonish a I'm an probably angry more man so than she is. So I, I agree with you, and I it's not like I'm like, yeah, I love movies where the woman's purpose is to fix the man. Yeah. yeah. But I felt like that scene 
felt a little bit honest to me in a way that rom-com sex or almost never feels like really honest. Yeah. In a like a manic pixie dream girl type movie, I feel like it's often just like then they have sex and it's and amazing. It's perfect. Yeah, you're but it's right. like these are people that obviously their sexual attraction to each other is part of the reason that this is happening at all. I think the part of my issue there was that I didn't believe that he was sexually attracted to her at that point. I, thought, I mean, she looks like Charlize Theron. Yeah, right. No, I so, I also um, think they established it in the opening. <laughs> like he sees her walk into the DMV yeah. thing. He's like, that chick is attractive. I thought that them making out was earlier in the movie than I would have expected from a traditional yeah. rom com, and that it didn't go well, and that they had the like, hey, you you're doing something that you think is hot, but it's uncomfortable for me. I don't right. like this. And that he would take that badly. That she wants something from him as much as he wants something from her, which is why she goes out in the rain to him. Because if he leaves, then she's alone for another month and she doesn't want to be alone in her dying. So she does right. want him in her house so that she has a thing to occupy her mind and to do to keep her from thinking about how she's dying. Was this the same conversation where he says, this is an excuse to get laid? No, that's later. That was okay. afterwards, yeah. That was another weird conversation. And also I was kind of like, she doesn't need an excuse. She could like go anywhere. <laughs> she could just exist in the world and have her pick. Can I quickly interject with Ebert or Mebert? Yes. Regarding their attraction. Ebert or Mebert, she sits on the hood of Nelson's car and commits other crimes against the male libido that a woman absolutely cannot get away with unless she looks exactly like Charlize Theron and <laughs> insists on sleeping with you. And even then, she's pushing it. Ebert. Ebert. It is an Ebert. Like, I get it. She looks like Charlize Theron. But I would be like, get away from me! But no, see, here's the thing. So, this is one of the things I've actually found convincing, is that her charm and the way she is compelling, she's not, she's a, she has this kind of, like, cheekiness to her, where she's kind of, like, mischievous. But she also does that thing where, like, when she she shows up at his apartment and, like, she, like, elbows the doorman out of the way in front of the camera, and it's like, hey, hey! And she she goes, I can't stop thinking about you, and that's, that's the hook. Like, that's, he, she's got him now. Oh. He's definitely going to come downstairs. Uh, but yeah, so also that leads into my Charlie Zenith, which is the part where she comes to his apartment and is like yelling mischievous, poking at him and like embarrassing him with, you know, yelling about stuff. There are very few actresses who would be able to pull off that kind of thing. Because like what you're saying is correct. Like yeah. on paper, this is abuse. Yes. But Charlie Theron is able to make it charming and compelling. And I think the only time I've ever seen that done as well. Have you ever seen the movie The Adjustment Bureau? No, I haven't actually. That movie is not very interesting. Yeah. Despite having a fascinating premise. But Emily Blunt plays a kind of free-spirited ballerina. She seduces or is seduced by Matt Damon's politician character and the juxtaposition between them is very similar to this. Like, he's very kind of straight-laced, like, has his blackberry and she's like, oh, fuck that, and like, drops in a cup of water and stuff like that. And like, but she's very, very compelling. You know, and Charlize does this as well. And better than I think that I've ever seen anyone do Okay. This is like the most extreme part of that where she is yelling stuff at the street calling him a flasher and all that kind of stuff and we've never seen I don't recall ever seeing Charlize play that kind of character like a manic pixie dream girl really arrested development right (laughs) yeah yeah. and And I'm curious if I would have enjoyed this movie more I feel like A I would have enjoyed this movie more if I saw it in 2001 Yes. And B, I would have enjoyed this movie more if I saw it before Arrested Development. Because of the knitwear, really, it's very clear, like, where they were drawing some of the inspiration in the casting there. Right. Yeah. Where do we leave off? Oh, with them fighting in the street. Also, it was pouring rain. Oh, yeah. So it was, yeah, it was pouring rain like a cliche. <laughs> I was just going to say, the, the level, 
And again, I loved Head in the Clouds. <laughs> but the level of cliches in this film reached a saturation point I could not bear. Like the pouring rain during the fights, I'm getting ahead of ourselves, but there's literally a montage of moments of her smiling and laughing and being a free spirit to Enya's only time. <laughs> oh yeah. And th- I, like, again, this is this is me flipping my barometer on its ear. Yeah. Because I normally would be 100% opposed to all this. This movie nails it. Okay. <laughs> so he decides to stay with her for the 30 days. He meets a local fatherless child that he helps hang out with. That she has, subplot. She has a downstairs... Into it. <laughs> okay. She has a downstairs neighbor who is charmingly Scottish. So during these 30 days, uh, he interacts with his old uh, gross partner twice. One time where he runs into them at a cafe and is very sexist at uh, Charlize Theron and then later they meet with the head advertiser in all the world. And I actually liked this scene. I like this uh, scene too. This is my extra Keanu. Okay. Well, so. I have grown up Keanu play the mean ad exec. So the mean ad exec is played, <laughs> played by, by Frank Langella. Yes. Is Langella. Langella. Yes. So he's basically like the best that ever was and he's coming back into the business and since Keanu's been fired he's setting up a meeting with him to try to work with him at his new firm. He is about to get an offer for him and his partner to join the firm and the waitress comes by and she knocks over a glass of water and starts apologizing and the evil ad exec is like stop what you're doing and he gives her a speech about how her job is unimportant and the fact that she can't do an unimportant job makes her a worthless human being and what the hell is wrong with her and then she goes off and cries as I would <laughs> right and also I'm sort of like yes those people do treat people in the service industry like that and Keanu like looks at the offer and is basically like no seeing you behave like that reminds me of who I was and who I would need to be if I'm going to continue to do uh, this job and because the guy also says something about like you're not married or have kids right like there's that no lifestyle so choice cartoonish. Um, like it was like I was like this is not I think that that's an illegal question I mean I you know what also was illegal sending yeah. prostitutes to your clients right. which they also casually talk about I know so I, I did actually kind of the like who doesn't <laughs> <laughs> so Keanu decides that it, his transformation is for real and he goes back to Charlie Theron and this is when the movie takes a turn because we've done all of our rehabbing Keanu and now it's all about revealing that Charlie Theron is dying we had already so, I mean because I knew going into this movie that this, the reason we chose this movie to go last is because she dies. dies and because Keanu Reeves is in it so we all knew but the first scene where you really Really start to know that she's dying textually uh, is the dinner with with her Scottish neighbor, guy who, and his boyfriend. So Keanu comes down and uh, he's met him before because he comes up into Charlie's apartment and has interacted like a fun neighbor. But then he comes downstairs and the both men are uh, dressed as women and that's a like I'm uncomfortable By being way, in San Francisco. I actually I wrote down in my notes in huge letters. Oh no! <laughs> like I was <laughs> expecting that to be like the most awkward horrible yes, scene of the movie. Me too. I also got really I was like oh god oh god oh god they're gonna it's gonna be dated. It's gonna be bad but one of his gifts at the end to Charlize was like a book about like transvesticism and he was basically like I'll do the reading yes I'll learn and so I was like I actually liked that and also because he says something he like references a movie and the the character responds to it is like oh he thinks I look like divine I don't look anything like divine. uh pink flamingos pink flamingos yes. yes and I I thought that was funny I actually genuinely thought that Keanu Reeves reaction of like I don't want to be rude but <laughs> I but I am incapable of not being rude was really genuine yeah. and like yes. especially for a movie that's 17 years old like mm-hmm. I was expecting to be completely Winsing. mortified yeah. and then right. it was just normal this was certainly not like woke but it was <laughs> definitely not the cringy thing that I expected it right. to be the also the other thing is I really liked the Scottish character not just because he was Scottish 
But uh, <laughs> at some point, Keanu, like during this dinner party, he finds out that he is also in advertising and that he's like a big name in the advertising world. But then he's like giving and he's like, this this commercial is brilliant. And it was like some really not good commercial. But do you remember that Lycos commercial? I, here's the thing is that I, it was one of those things where I was like, this is unlocking a memory. I think Lycos That maybe, was a big deal? I think yes. Okay. I forgot that Lycos existed, yes. frankly. <laughs> I think Lycos had that dog thing. I don't know if they specifically had a Scottish one. But yeah. the thing that I liked about it was I felt like he was the only character that was like, look, you can encompass life is a rich tapestry. Right, exactly. You can both work in advertising without uh, brutalizing waitstaff <laughs> and also have a bohemian lifestyle right. and be in love with someone. Right. That I think that that was an intelligent writing move to have him represent that bridge. Yes. Because in the beginning, Keanu's like, what is wrong with doing a job and living a life? Mm-hmm. And she doesn't answer because her answer really is nothing. Right. Right. It was nice that the movie eventually did give us some level of satisfaction with like, no, nothing. As long as you're happy with what you're doing. Right. I also think, like, she says very early on, she's like, I'll never lie to you. But the rest of the movie, she very regularly lies to you. Yeah. Him. Yes. And of it, course. And yeah. Again, like, I think it's, like, I sort of agree with Bob Shields that this movie sets itself up in a bubble that's far enough away from reality. So this is the thing I want to talk about, is there was something about the quality of this movie that when I was watching it reminded me very much of, like, movies of a time when I, like, started watching movies. Mm. And I can't necessarily put my finger on it, but there was something yeah. about watching this movie that it was like, it doesn't feel like a movie that would get made today and it's not like iconic from like I watched it at that time because I'd never seen it before but there was something sort of like familiar about the style of narrative that it didn't feel hyper realistic to me so that things that would have bothered me or that did really bother me in Arrested Development even though that was a comedy I like judged it much more harshly and I also think it did worse things but I think it had like not the Saturday morning bump but there's something about that era of movie that it just felt reminiscent of a style that I don't see anymore and I don't think I can sufficiently like create comparisons to it I know, I think I know exactly what you're talking about. Like, they just aren't enough, like, romance movies anymore, which is one of the reasons I'm so excited about this uh, Destination Wedding thing that's yes. coming out next year. <laughs> the the feel of this, the, like, it, it feels like it's from the 90s, even though it's from 2001. The, yes. the 90s romance movie feel of it, like, it reminded me of One Fine Day with Michelle Pfeiffer and George Clooney, which is a movie I genuinely love. It reminded me of Bed of Roses. Yes. Because, so, and I think you're right. I think another big part of it is I loved romance movies for yeah. a time. Like, I, and like, I think partly like we don't get as many and also like I'm just less interested in them now than I was like in high school and and like I bet if I watched Bed of Roses now I would find it highly objectionable because he just like stalks the hell out I of this woman. I watched it again as an adult and I was upset. Yes. <laughs> and so like I, I sort of think that I'm falling somewhere between you and Bob Shields where yeah. I'm sort of like I think it's getting this like I haven't seen a movie of this type even though let's be fair I would never willingly sign up to watch a cancer movie. Yeah. Like, which was also hard for me to deal with. But it had those qualities and like almost that look or sound effect that just sort of made it feel less real or like less uh more like a a parable or something like that so that's kind of why i could give it a pass on some of the things and because i don't know if you guys know this i find charlie's theron and Keanu Reeves. Very compelling. <laughs> what? So I was able to... News to me! I I think if someone else had been in that role... For like, example, Richard Gere. 
or Josh Brolin, who I apparently don't give a shit about, uh, I would be like, fuck that guy. He's a useless dick. And there was one other thing um, that I did want to say that I sort of, again, like, I, I don't disagree with you, but some of the things that, like, took the air out of that for me, they have a fight after their first night of having sex, and he's like, I'm leaving. And then he sees, like, oh, is this just how you're going to get laid with people? Because he realized that she slept right. with other people besides him. Oh, that part was gross. It, and then he comes back and, like, weirdly apologizes, and he's like, are we friends again? And I really liked her response was, only if you give me what I want mm. because I felt like that was her admitting like I am getting something out of this right. and it, it is about me giving myself to you but also 100% on my terms yeah so basically he finds out that she's sick they have like a blow up about it and she's like you have to leave um, I was curious what you thought about this how, about her stopping treatment more about the idea of I don't want you to see me wither and die I had a lot of feelings yeah I mean so, I, was, I was very much like I hope Regina's emotionally okay so I had a lot of feelings about us, several things so essentially we learned that Charlie's Theron had been in treatment for Hodgkin's lymphoma and then decided to stop treatment because her quality of life under treatment was terrible and so she wanted to live on her terms and refuse treatment and her family refused to accept this because they wanted her to continue to fight to be alive and also that was Keanu's initial reaction was like well I know doctors we can do this we can right. take care of you and just she was like that's that's not my choice yeah. and I think there's a lot to be said about when a human being is ill how quickly their agency leaves them yeah. and the other people's need for them like supersedes that yeah. and so I don't I don't feel like I see that a lot in movies and I thought that was interesting and although like if she was someone in my life like I sympathize with her family that it would be sort of devastating to feel as if like your family member is choosing to leave you yeah but really what you're sad about is not that you're sad about the realities of death in some ways right, right. so I, I thought that was interesting and I thought Keanu being like no 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 I can help I can control this is a very normal reaction to that type of news right. so so I, I thought that was at least an interesting layout of it yeah. and her being like I don't want you to see me like this I was a bit like fair you've known this dude for three weeks I kept and thinking it's about it's how so vulnerable right. to be ill in front of someone like here like I don't I don't like if Bob Shield sees me puke and we've been married for five years so I sort of sympathize with her as a character because I think I'm someone who's very controlling and would like to have things be exactly the way that I want them yeah and the thing about having a terminal illness like that is like it really does take so much away from you right so her being like I don't want you here I want my friends who've actually been with me for a very long time I am thinking me. about if I were one of those friends and it was like this guy who's been around for a hot <laughs> minute what is he doing here? What is he doing here demanding things? I would have been so mean, so much more mean to him than Jason Isaacs was. <laughs> so I thought her initial reaction of like, I don't want you to see me like this made sense. And I also think there's something about seeing someone that loves you see you vulnerable and watching how your pain and suffering hurts them and like I don't know if this is a gendered thing but like I do think like to some extent for women there's a responsibility for other people's emotional state and to be that sick and then feel bad that you're making someone else feel bad because you know they're going to miss you right. but you want to make them feel better but you don't have the wherewithal I'm like yeah I totally understand being like I need you to leave so as much as I understand that textually I could not separate it from this idea of She's not a real person and her being sick, that is her becoming real, right? She's this fantasy mm -hmm. Wonder Woman and then fantasy Wonder Woman aren't riddled with cancer and puking on the floor. 
And then she's like, goodbye, you can't see me like this. So I would 100% think, though, that someone who had set themselves up that way, right. initially, when faced with it, would try to maintain the, the fantasy as long as possible. Right. And so when Keanu comes back and is like, no, I've decided... Here's like, your dishwasher. I do want to be with you. Here are my adorable 12 Day of Christmas presents, which <laughs> finger okay all the way. That's me making the okay sign, not fingering. Anyway! Uh, <laughs> fingering is okay. Fingering okay. Even when you've got the cans. I thought this How was... How about a- that scene, though, when he's fucking her when she's got the cans and she's just staring into the camera? Charlie Zenith. Okay. Because I thought that she's mid-boning him. This is after he's come back and they bone. And her look of the reality of mortality. Yeah. And her boning him as a way to be like, I'm trying to stay alive, but I also know that I'm not. That's really difficult to pull off. There's there's so many things in this movie that if I respected it at all, that maybe I would have appreciated differently. And now I'm wondering if I'm treating this movie the way Keanu Reeves treats women, or Keanu Reeves' character treats women. I don't know. Important distinction. Yes. (laughs) Uh, I hope. We hope. So so he so Keanu does come back and they they reconnect for this like one night. And then in the morning, she's like, a second time, she says, get the fuck out. I can't let you see me like this. And this part, this is where I'm in between you guys. So when she starts running, literally Literally running running. away from him, and he keeps chasing her, I'm sort of like, listen to her words and her literal actions. So he chases after her, and she's basically like, I need you to remember me like this. I don't want you to see me fall apart. I'm going back to my family. Don't want you to follow me. Like, just hold on to what we've had. And that way, like, I can die knowing that, like, that is out there in the world. That's my immortality. So that kind of bothered me. It bothers me a lot. So here's the thing. It bothered me because I did want them to have the opportunity for their relationship to leave the fantasy element to be like, you can love someone and also see them throw up and that that is a part of real love. But I also was like, I think her family deserves that time with her. Same. And I wish that that was not the ending of the movie. Like, I, 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 but I was... I wish that, that that's not how they chose to end it. I would have been happy if they had maybe ended a little bit before or maybe like him meeting the family. But the one thing they did that would have made me like hate it, if that was, because like that ending happened, I was like, ah, you guys really dropped a notch for me. They didn't do a montage of Keanu being okay afterwards. And I feel I like a lot of movies. really expecting that. I was too. And I feel like a lot of movies would have shown him like. Starting his ethical ad business. Oh, and like then him like meeting someone else or, or like a cut to later with like him with kids or him with Abner or whatever. And I felt like the movie didn't do that. And that that was kind of It important. literally just, she is like goodbye forever. And he walks sadly and the credits go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, the movie lost me in the last 60 seconds. Okay. So that's where I was like, oh no, I don't, that ending for me. You could have gone either one of two ways. The what I was expecting it to do with what Regina was saying, he stays with her through the illness and like Jason Isaacs is right. Because Jason Isaacs gives her a talk is like, that's when you want the people who love you to yes. be around yes, you. Right. Jason Isaacs, great. So good. But the alternative to that, which is um that movie that I've forgotten the name of that has Jude Law and Natalie Portman. Closer? Yes. Where it's actually that it's like, our time is over, I'm not actually in love with you, please leave. Yeah. Like, heartbreak, and it's, you know, heartbreaking for the dude, but then whatever, he picks up the pieces and he's right. eventually fine. Either one of those would have worked. I would have preferred the former, 
because it would keep us in this like nice little bubble that we've created. But also revealing that bubble to be a bubble also would have worked. Yeah. Also, I'm sort of like, sometimes when you love someone, there will be an experience that is worse than you're loving them, but it's okay. Yeah. Like she's basically talking like, she's like, I don't want you to see me like this. It's going right. to be so terrible. And I don't want to like be, I don't want it to be hard for you. But I'm sort of like, if they had three happy weeks and then she like took like eight or nine months of like intense illness, that's not necessarily invalidating the three weeks that they had where right. that wasn't true. Right. Like just because the future might hold terrible things, it doesn't mean the, the previous thing can't still be in its own bubble right. protected from that. And I just genuinely don't think that this movie took that consideration seriously. Yes. Right. I think this movie was a rom-com that was like, what if we threw in cancer? <laughs> and then they were like, roll credits. So I was very much dreading watching this movie because I thought it was going to be more cancery than it was. It's actually very light on the cancer. But guys, yeah. guys, here's a hot take. We don't see her die. Like, she just wanders That's away. True. I don't know. Maybe she takes some, like, homeopathic recipes. That's right. And she tur- <laughs> she turns out okay. We don't know. We didn't see the ending one. Which is Sundance survived Bolivia. <laughs> sure did. So that is the full thing. There are so many weird parts in this movie. When I just I have to acknowledge a few more cliches. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. While we talk about Bob Shields liking this movie. I she literally it. says, it's, but Regina, I believe that you have inside of you a person who would like movies like this. Okay. And I did not know that Bob Shields <laughs> would come out with a thumbs up on a movie where a character literally says the words, tell me your secret dream. Keanu Reeves is his secret dream is that he wanted to be a singer and I turned to Bob and I was like I know when he's gonna sing to her and I thought it was gonna be on her deathbed I thought she was gonna be dying because I didn't know for sure that she had cancer I was like maybe girl gets hit by a streetcar and he's (laughs) gonna pick her up and be like I love you baby I thought it was going to be at her funeral. Oh! <laughs> what actually happens is much better. It's yes. the 12th day of Christmas. Oh my god, it's him singing into the sparkliest mic I, I have ever seen I'm in my life. I'm obsessed with the image of him in his white Bond tux yep. uh, singing into a sparkly mic. And fucking uh, the Scotch guy being like, you're going to bone that guy. <laughs> <laughs> well done, you. Also, look at that. That's life. Happening all around us. I think that's beautiful. So here's the thing. I, I, as cliche as this movie is, it got me there every time. And it made me think that there's a particular part that rings true today. And like a lot of this, like I see movies like this and I'm very influenced by them generally because I, I would like to be more of a free spirit than I currently am. But she uh, talks about uh, at, the end, at the end of their month or like the end of their 17 days or whatever yeah. it's been. He's like, I've got to go back to my apartment uh, and he's like and, and so and she says well what are you going to do in your apartment you're going to go home you're going to watch tv you're going to get bored then you're going to go and surf the net and you're going to get bored and then you're going to yeah. do it's one of those things it's like a heist movie where she's explaining what's going to happen and then we see and it. it's actually happening while she's explaining it mm-hmm. and then of course he comes back and he's like can you not be right all can the you time? try try not being right it'd be good for my ego or something and then i was, I was like she's right yeah she the the things that we that I do most of the time are doing something that I'm used to doing or familiar with until I get bored with it and then I move on to the next thing until I get bored with that whereas she was taking him on doing things that were sustainably interesting throughout the entire going on a boat race or walking true. dogs if you like dogs here's the like thing. I feel like that's the thing about this movie is that I would have found several bits more charming if I liked dogs oh okay I also like that the stuff that she liked doing wasn't like super wacky yeah she wasn't like yes. let's go skydiving she was like let's go talk to my neighbor who owns a bookstore 
let's walk on the beach. Like, she was just yeah. doing, like, very, like, small, mundane things. And I agree with Bob in that scene. And, like, I also was kind of like, oh, man, I, I, I surf the web all the time. <laughs> but can we also talk about when he was surfing the web, he used AOL.com and looked at SharperImage.com. <laughs> and I was just like, how is 2001 so, so long, long ago? <laughs> but so that scene both did the, I was like, oh, man, maybe I should walk around some more. <laughs> Uh, but also, I was like, this is adorable. It's not a real movie. Who goes to AOL.com? People but in 2001 did. It took me there, and I was there for the duration. Okay. Also, I just love how much Keanu Reeves talked aloud to himself. Like, just besides the, I'm the biggest dog. I'm the big dog dog. <laughs> yes. But when he's in the mirror, and he's like, all right, just one night. And you're like, okay, dude. But I will give the movie credit that when he walks outside and decides he wants to marry her, he doesn't say out loud, I'll marry that girl. He just <laughs> looks around their neighborhood and is like, I like my life. And yeah. you can actually yeah. see that play out on his face. Okay. So Charlie's Dennis, Regina's, is when she has bad sex with him. Life is fleeting sex with yes. him. Yes. Oh, okay. My runner up was her dancing, but I did that for another movie. So okay. her dancing uh, was very adorable and funny. Uh, mine was yelling outside her uh, Keanu's apartment, uh, calling him a flasher and being <laughs> charmingly criminal. Uh, I was very upset. I was like, this is monstrous I was behavior. like, this does not work on paper, but it works on screen. Fair enough. Uh, and I will say this also has a great range of red rimmed eyes. It really does. <laughs> oh, my, her I makeup love, changing from just, flesh. Exactly. Oh, yeah, basically, yes. it's like, okay, she's healthy. She wears makeup. Oh, no. Does she have the cants? Oh, no. Her lips are flesh toned. Yes. No more eyeliner. Yeah. All <laughs> she right. looked like Kevin Bacon had his legs slashed open. <laughs> Um, I did think of, I thought of a new segment uh, that we cannot do because it's our last episode. <laughs> For now. Would this plot have survived a ride-sharing app? Because <laughs> if Girl uh, could just use Uber, she never would have needed to stalk it. Let's keep that in mind for future yep. future episodes. Yep. My favorite, I wish I wrote down more context here, but it was early on when he's asking her questions about her weird lifestyle. Yeah. And he's like, why do you do this? And she says, because I'm a vampire. <laughs> that was very funny. That was my favorite part. So I will say there are definitely parts of this that burst the bubble a little bit for me. Yeah. Mostly they come from Keanu. Yeah. There is a part when he is about to get fired. The executive says something to him and then he laughs very yes, jarring. Yes. Keanu's bad fake laugh that's also in Devil's Advocate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. who else should Keanu have been? So I find that very difficult to cast because yeah. I thought everyone was good. I was thinking about doing Jason Isaac's boyfriend. Okay. Then I was like, nah, like he doesn't really have a lot to do. He would have been fine as Jason Isaac's boyfriend. Yeah, he doesn't have a lot to do. Um, what I wanted to do was the barista oh. gives uh, his partner are, are like a top up on his coffee and the guy's like can you put some more chocolate in this me chocolate's an aphrodisiac you know <laughs> and, I sh- and it's a very na- like a wide shot so you can't really see like they're tiny in the fray but you just he- see her eyes do an enormous eye roll as she takes the cup away from him oh this would be a great barista work because I also love the scene where that guy comes in he's like <laughs> can I get a quick cappuccino and the one behind the counter is like we don't do any quick cappuccinos. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yay! Who are, who's your key, second And then piano? Franklin Jello. So, oh, I also wanted to mention, I loved the part uh, at the end of Franklin Jello's bit when you saw, like, they took his meanness up to another level when he just tosses the uh, the receipt or the bill and just goes, I hope you can afford this. Yeah, and walks well, away. <laughs> I think, so I also thought about casting Keanu as the, the boyfriend. Uh-huh. Um, to see him in a dress would be great. Yeah. I also thought for a second about casting him opposite himself. <laughs> 
and taking Charlize out of it for a minute. And I was like, what would this be if it was a manic pixie dream man? And would that be better or worse? <laughs> that was my brain exploding. Uh, but I... What's the male version of... Oh, no! Spoilers! <laughs> I'll take that out. Uh, I would cast Keanu as the, the waiter. Uh, the waitress who gets, like, m- meanly yelled mm. at as just to see him go off and weep, weep, weep. Yeah. That's, that's good. I think those are all good. Would options. this movie be improved by a prison riot? No. no. Yeah, no, it wouldn't. Uh, no. No, <laughs> definitely not. Absolutely no. How about uh, a kennel riot? <laughs> <laughs> if we had seen her. Seen her inside uh, committing the crime. I'll allow it, although this would continue my, like, she is a criminal! <laughs> <laughs> so, um, my prevailing theory on this is this actually takes place in the Matrix. <laughs> in between the first Matrix and the second and third Matrixes, or Matrices, because there was a part in this one where they play a game where Keanu Reeves is blindfolded and she he has to find Charlie yes, in the room. That was very Matrixy. It was a and, metaphor for the end of the movie. Well, and then in the Matrix 3, he has to do the same thing because he gets his eyes burned out by an electrical cable oh, and yeah. then has to fight Agent Smith. Good point. Good point. Okay, so one more thing I want to talk about is when we did the Beach Blanket Bingo SNL Keanu and I had to find shirtless Keanu. It was from this. It was from this. And it was really difficult to find a picture of Keanu without his shirt on. And I was like, what is going on with that? And then when I was watching this movie, I was like, wait a second, he has an abdominal scar. Did you guys notice? No. Okay, yeah. I was distracted by his nipple hair. Oh. (laughs) Bob Shields' face. He has like a pretty big midline incision scar. And I recognized it because my dad had one of those. And I was like, it looks exactly like my dad's scar. So I Googled Keanu Reeves' abdominal scar the way you do. And apparently he had a motorcycle accident and had a splenectomy. So Keanu Reeves doesn't have a spleen. Oh, I'm glad he's okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you complain about Charlie's stalking Keanu, but really. Yeah. I mean, I, I know about his organ Pot, count. Tattle. What's going on? <laughs> Time for the final rankings. Oh, guys, this is hard. This is hard. I can start. Okay. If that's okay. Because I got to tell you, there was a time during this film, it was around the Enya montage. Where Which they used twice. Yes. Where <laughs> yeah. I was going to put this below Children of the Corn 3 Urban Harvest. Oh my God. And make it my second to last movie. But A, it's not all that bad. And B, you guys have talked my dark heart into (laughs) a little bit of warmth. And so then I started looking at my list and I was like, well, it's better than sleepwalking. It's better than The Legend of Bagger Vance, right? It's just going up and up and up and up until I finally got to The Burning Plane. And I was like, I think The Burning Plane is a better movie than this, just on the basis of performances. Okay. So this is going to be well in the bottom portion of my list, below The Burning Plane and above Reindeer Games. That makes sense. Uh, two notes. One, I meant to mention earlier about the, the Enya montage where Keanu Reeves is like remembering their three-week-old love yeah. with like little <laughs> clips of her smiling and doing things. And while that was happening, I turned to Pop Shields and was like, I gotta prep one of those for you. <laughs> <laughs> and my second note is I had almost the opposite experience where I weirdly enjoyed this movie and I didn't expect to. I generally am not into rom sobs. Like, I don't understand people who are like, I'm going to watch this movie that's going to make me cry. Mm, like, I am one of those people. Like, Marley and Me or, I don't know, like, other movies that are like, love and sadness or, or any cancer movie. I'm like, yeah. Why, what are you signing up for? Life is going to bring that to you, whether you want it or not. But this was the first one where I was kind of like, I would definitely watch this again. Mm. Like, it, I went from the top and was kind of like, well, I think I like it this much. Well, this movie was technically better. <laughs> 
where that ended. Uh, this movie has a bigger place in my heart than it did. So I sort of slowly like w- like wheeled it back because at first I was like I was gonna put it between The Devil's Advocate and Fate of the Furious, and I was like, come on, you like Fate of the Furious way more than you like this movie. Eon Flux of the Italian Job. I was like, those are pretty bad. Don't you like this movie more than that? But then I saw Snow White and the Huntsman, and I'm kind of like, how can I rank anything above Charlize Theron yelling in that movie? So I am going to put it just below Snow White and the Huntsman and above Mighty Joe Young. And it feels like her character in Mighty Joe Young and this are very similar. But that's a good reason. <laughs> she did devote herself completely to that big ape. Yeah, she sure that's did. A, that's a good show because I was saying this is a character we've never seen her play before, but you're uh, actually yeah. right. Yeah. We, we just never saw her play it with a human. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she just had that weird sexual tension with a monkey. <laughs> ape. ape. <laughs> and we're back. <laughs> So, but throughout this mind-bending episode, we have discovered that uh, my barometer for judging movies has been flipped on its ear by this particular one. It defies everything that I love about a movie, or it defies everything that I would intellectually criticize about a movie. This is not a unique phenomenon. Like, I love the movie Armageddon, yes. but I cannot defend the movie Armageddon. Right. So, and I think this kind of falls into that, but whatever quality it has, it works for me looking at my rankings and I'm like I cannot defend the position that I'm putting this in mm-hmm. but I enjoy it, it like, so be true effective. to yourself exactly it's your list it was my it's. list and it's how much I enjoy this movie and it seems radical but I am putting this just above Mad Max Fury Road wow and one below Monster I have never been more surprised <laughs> my entire life if when we started this Someone told me that Bob Shields would rank Sweet November above Mad Max Fury Road. I would have pushed them into a river. <laughs> I, I would never have thought about it. But one of the things I, I noticed when we were first doing this, our friends would often ask if they can guess, oh, I like this episode. And one of the things people would ask is, oh, have you done this movie? Yeah. And like, more, some movies get asked about more than others. Devil's Advocate. Devil's Never Advocate mind. all the time. Mad Max all the time. The other one that got asked about all the time was Sweet November. Oh, I I guess I had one or two people ask me about it. I had never heard of it, never seen it, didn't know anything about it. But I know that it has this particular, it resonates with some people's hearts for some reason. Yeah. And I'm just one of those people, and, that, and so now I know if I'm uh, I'm gonna be excited. Like we have a a, a a doppelganger podcast, and I'm gonna listen to their Sweet November episode yeah. uh, of What's the Throne. I Hi mean, guys. I will say that when you buy into a romance, yes, you, you're very forgiving. Like we talked a little bit about Bed of Roses earlier, yeah, which does not hold up. But you know what I holds up for me? Again. Untamed Heart. I don't know that one. Uh, it's also Christian Slater. And well, you know Tomei, how I feel about Christian and Slater. And it is also Christian Slater being a stalker. Oh. But I buy into the romance of it, and yep. I love it. All right, because this is our last episode, we don't have a lot of time to talk because of our lives and our computer battery. Yeah. But <laughs> any changes you would make, I mean, this is written in stone, you cannot make these changes, but any changes you would make, well, I would say, like, in looking at my list, my bottom, I'm very confident of. Okay. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, try, yeah, oh, yeah. I hated Celebrity the most, and definitely A Million Ways to Die in the West, I hated a little bit less than that, and 15 Minutes, fuck you, movie. <laughs> so, like, I feel pretty comfortable with my dislike of things, which I don't know what that says about me as a person. I am curious in, like, my top ones, I'm like, how did Eon Flux sneak in to be in my top 15? I don't know, like, that was pretty <laughs> early on. Like, that's one where I'm kind of like, really? It does that belong there? Maybe. I mean, it would require that I watch it a second time, but I'm also like, Huntsman Winter's War, huh? Really yeah. up there? 
Yep. Anything you guys would change? Uh, I'm on, honestly pretty confident and pleased with my ranking. This this is the only one, Sweet November is the only one I'm like, I might on rewatching it want to adjust that, but in the moment, that is where it lives. What about you? So because Bob Shields got to put Sweet November above Mad Max Fury Road, I am a little upset that Head of the Clouds got eked out of my top 10 over time. <laughs> <laughs> because that is definitely in my top 10, like, movies that I loved watching for this podcast. Yes. And then honestly, you know, for most of the show, I was like, oh, I should have put Kubo above Fate of the Furious. Yeah. But then I think I said recently, I went back and watched it again. And I'm like, no, Fate of the Furious is amazing. Right. Yeah. So um, I feel good about that. I think really, I went and saw Tully again, and it's amazing, but I do think Monster is better than it. So I would make that tiny adjustment. There's some stuff in the middle where I think that things got placed out of order. Yeah. Same, but yeah. it's like, it, it's all relatively right. Yeah, hovering around my recommendation threshold, which is exactly that was going to be my next Joe, question. Mighty Joe Young. I'm like, Astro Boy, I've put above that. I probably wouldn't put that above that in retrospect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So my I recommendation s- threshold is messed up. That is one regret I do have. Okay. In that I have Snow White and the Huntsman well below it. Yeah. And I actually do kind of recommend that movie right. if you're willing. Uh, basically, I recommend a good parts version of that movie. Sure. Because yes. that was what ultimately hurt it in the rankings. Is that re- it's way too long. It's I, very long. I recommend the gifts of that movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But my ultimate recommendation threshold, even without like some minor errors, is still Mighty Joe Young. We said in last episode, that's the surprise of the podcast, right? Yep. Like That really is a movie where I'm like, you will like this. I think the only movie going back for one beat that I maybe was not fair to is North Country. Mm-hmm. And I part of me is like, does that deserve to be more than like smack in the middle? Is there anything that someone else has ranked that really surprised you or that you strongly disagree with? <laughs> I mean, apart from the obvious. <laughs> <laughs> remember. I mean, he's explained himself at length, but Bob Shields' deep hate on for Prometheus is still <laughs> kind of a surprise to me. See, and for- I'm also surprised how many movies Bob has under Children of the Corn 3 Urban I'm Harvest, also- even though you have justified it every single time. I am I am also surprised at that. I would never have thought that, especially after our first episode, was like, Jesus. What I would... <laughs> say is Children of the Corn 3, I was very harsh and unfair to Children of the Corn 3 in our first episode. We I went was, in with an agenda on that one. Well, yeah. yeah. And I'm like, actually, it's not that bad. I, would, I still wouldn't <laughs> recommend it, but it's not that bad. I and think the, I haven't seen as many bad horror movies I, as you have. But I think also my, pers- like, watching the whole canon of one person yeah. shifts your spectrum. Watching Children of the Corn 3, I was like, well, that's obviously the worst Charlie Theron movie. And now I've seen all of them, there's more more granularity in yeah. my understanding of a person's career. Yeah. You know, being an extra and getting tentacle raped to death is not the worst thing she's been in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would say the thing that surprised me even more than Sweet November, although I'm a little bit like, oh, didn't know. <laughs> I still am like, really? That thing you do is your number two Charlize Theron movie? She's Loved barely it. in it. I'm, but I'm also like, I'm like, I get that you love the movie, but like her role in it, I think is oh, yeah. one of her lesser roles. All right. So final thoughts. I was, I tweeted oh. yesterday when I finished Sweet November, I tweeted Charlize Theron, John Cazale, Bjork. 
the three actors who I've seen every movie they've been in. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think it's only Charlie's Theron to me. I don't think I've seen every other movie. Well, Bjork's only in one movie. That's oh. why. Oh, I, I, I have seen all of Bjork. I have seen almost all of Denzel Washington movies, but not all of okay. them. Okay. That's a lot of movies. It is? Yeah. yeah. Uh, one of the things I learned from doing this podcast is that Charlize Theron is not in many great movies. Yeah. But I still think that she 100% deserves, like, her place in, like... Movie stardom. Yeah, absolutely. And it, I find it personally reassuring to be like, you can do a ton of projects and a lot of them can be mediocre to outright bad. And the, the good so that you do agree. like uplifts yes. everything. And I also think like it has been fascinating how much we feel familiar with an actor's work when we most often only see a small sliver of their output. Right. You can, you can paint that onto any other actor. Like, I feel very comfortable on and knowing what Will Smith, what his canon is like. Mm -hmm. But I've only seen maybe five or six Will Smith movies, probably even fewer than that. But the movies that he's in are culturally iconic mm -hmm. in a way that makes, like, makes him as a personality and as a performer ubiquitous and like robert de niro who was in 15 minutes which i don't know if you know is a fucking terrible movie <laughs> you know but it's just that, that, that these and it's not a singular incident in a in an actor's career that like a career has a lot of duds yeah and can still be worthwhile and i know that that's yeah. not true for everyone i think there are plenty of people who have a lot of duds and never it's not true for that. john cazale five movies five best picture nominees i don't know who that that's is that's pretty good he's uh, fredo in the godfather oh cool yeah <laughs> Um, so the other thing that you can say is, I mean, Charlize Theron is obviously an exceptional talent and actress. And so even her, the recommendation threshold being very high, there are more movies that she has done that you wouldn't recommend than would. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's also important to understand that success is not the same as quality. Right. All the movies that we've seen were successful movies, despite how bad they were, because we saw them like you were so, able to get them right that's one thing i was gonna well mostly <laughs> except oh, for that yeah. snl episode right. what a tanker <laughs> <laughs> um but what i was gonna say is that i have over the course of my life done a variety of projects that have forced me to watch movies really so you know the oscars death race being one of them this being another it's a great thing to do our yes. judgment of what movies we should and should not watch is imperfect yes and Forcing yourself to watch something and doing it with as an open mind as possible, I think is a really awesome experience, especially for me as a creative person. Being exposed to this idea of like, it's worth giving a shot. Oh, yeah. I agree. I also think just having one reason to watch something is enough. Yeah. It's like the only reason I watched Children of the Corn 3 Urban Harvest is because Charlize Theron was in it. And like, that's enough to have done that. Yeah. So <laughs> guys, honestly, I could talk about Charlize Theron forever. We've forever. talked about her for a year. We have. And look, when she makes another movie, we will be back. I think she's got one coming out in February, something like that. And um, we'll be back with the Keanu review, hopefully yes. before February. Yep. And we'll be starting with Sweet November. <laughs> yeah! Since his life is just beginning in that movie. That's right. <laughs> so we'll see if Robin's heart has softened and Bob's heart has hardened by that time. I'll be like, what was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much for listening. This has been a really amazing project to do over the course of a year, uh, especially with my best pals. Yeah, it's been nice having a reason to see you guys every week. Yeah. I want to give special shout outs to Colin and Tracy and our other biggest fans, High on Film. Uh, Lainey's mom. Lainey's mom. Loves our <laughs> podcast. She has her own name, but let's call no, her as we know her. 
thank you to all of our guests that we've had. Absolutely. Uh, over the course of this project. Thank you to Anchor for hosting us and your support. Thank you to Robin Elaine Hitchcock for doing the tedious task of editing us every single week. It hasn't always been tedious. Creating the beautiful visual art of Keanu Reeves in these movies. And uh, thank you to Bob Shields for figuring out all the technical stuff. And, That's right. Uh, allowing My pleasure. me to just be the talent. And I was going to say, thank <laughs> you, Regina, for being the moneymaker. <laughs> and coming up with the concept. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And thanks, of course, to Alex Reed for our theme song. Amazing. Please come back for the Keanu review. All right. And for one, one not final, but as we close for now, most importantly, thank you, Charlize. Thank you, Charlize. Thank you, Charlize. I go by Charlize Theron, but the real pronunciation of my last name is Thron. I have a small dog in my vehicle. I encourage you not to die. Why live only a quarter mile at a time when you can live your whole life that way? Oh, it's milk. I make milk. Kevin! Are you shitting me? is a treasure wrapped in fur. Fuck you, man. Yeah, fuck you. You don't fucking know me. Remember me. You will do this for me, Huntsman. And the Oscar goes to Charlize Theron. such an incredible year. I can't believe this. And I'm not gonna cry. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you.